Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, pissing, clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. All right, welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Star Care Shop Talk Show right here on ESPN Tucson, 1490 AM and 1049 FM. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host. Along with me this morning is Mr. Jim Mooney, Mr. Safe Saturday, <laughs> Super Safe Saturday, Jim, Frontier Towing. Welcome back, Jim. Good morning, Jerry. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yes, it's Super Safe Saturday, Super Safe Super Bowl safe Saturday. So be That's safe right. today so, so we can, can enjoy Super Bowl tomorrow. I'll make sure that everybody Absolutely. stays home. It, 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 the, the motto is this, guys. It's think safe, act safe, go home tonight. Okay? Think safe, act safe, go home tonight. Or go home safe. Your choice. But yeah, so we're going to do that today so we can Super Bowl tomorrow. Who's, who's your pick for the right. Super Bowl, this- Jerry? No, we'll get to that in a second. I got to get a couple of these sponsors out of the way. Uh, Spectrum, this portion of the show is brought to you by Spectrum Ina Road Auto Collision, 744-4454. They're located at 4425 West Ina, behind Jiffy Lube in the car wash. This is a place that you want to go if you have any kind of uh, body damage on the car, or it needs to be detailed out, or it needs to have painted. Uh, uh, blisters taken off of it where the sun's done cooked the uh, clear coat. They can do it all. Spectrum Minor Road Auto Collision, 744-4454. Yes, they are open today uh, up until noontime. Merrill's Automotive have a machine shop service at 15 West Ajo. They do servicing of rotors, flywheels, uh, and brake drums. They're open 8 to 5 on Saturday, 7 to 6, Monday through Friday. 8 to 5 on Saturday, 7 to 6, Monday through Friday. Uh, Frontier Towing, that's for all your towing needs. LensAutobrokerage.com, DesertRV.com. You can look them up. They've got an easy website. You can go in there and you can play until you fall apart. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think once again for Scott from Parker Automotive being on the show last week and for the second hour, and he just he did a good job, and I actually had a comment from a uh, client that said he heard it, and he said it, it, it. He said what you guys need to do, like we haven't been doing it, 
uh, is you need to get stay on that maintenance stuff because that's the one that's really going to cost you a lot of money. And evidently, he works in a place to where they have realized that maintenance on these vehicles that they're driving is where the money's actually saved. It's not running them till the, in the ground till it costs a fortune to have them fixed. So keep that in mind. All right, now we were talking about uh, Motorvac. And before we get away from Motivac and go in, well, we were talking about additives. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know what's going on with the weather out here. Um, and then we, we're going to cover some more Motivacs. We've covered leaks uh, and timing belts. Oh. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think right now, until I get my throat clear, I'm going to go back to Jim, and we can cover some more on this motorbike stuff. What what so, else you want to uh, say about cleaning systems? Uh, all right, so I'll, I'll work on the, on the fuel injectors there while you get a drink of water, Jerry. So um, cleaning of the injectors, and um, you know, part of the uh, part of the cleaning of the injector is, um, and what does an injector do? Well, it, it meters the fuel going into the motor, right? Just like the carburetor used to do. Um, but imagine this, it's, it's two pieces of metal compressing together about a million times a second, every, every five milliseconds or something. So how does, how does that thing stay alive for a hundred thousand miles or 200,000 miles? Well, what happens is the fuel that flows through it, cools it and cleans it at the same time, cools it and lubricates it. I'm sorry. That's what I meant to say. Cools it and lubricates it. So imagine tightening a bolt on a washer and then untightening it and tightening and untightening it. Eventually, you'll wear the washer out, and that's what happens with the injector if it if it stays dirty all the time. And what the motor vac does is that when the carbon gets on the injector, then the injector needle starts to lose its uh, its lubricity from the fuel because it's not properly um, coated on the injector uh, needle. So what happens is that carbon soaks it up and, and pushes it away, and so now the injector's not getting properly lubricated. So then it causes premature failure. Now, I know this is probably not such a big deal in cars, but in trucks it's a huge deal, especially diesel. If you take a, a diesel truck and you run out of fuel, you can rest assured you're going to buy some injectors because they go bad right away. Um, I know that they're electronic and they got all the whiz-bang features, but when they run out of fuel they go bad. And the same thing happens with a car. When that thing gets dirty and messed up, um, it doesn't it doesn't lubricate properly, so it starts to prematurely wear. And then when the wear occurs, then you start getting irregular conical sprays into the motor. So now you have uh, improper combustion. Now you have bad emissions. You have improper power. And that's when lights start coming on because the car knows Believe it or not, of the 83,000 computers things got on there, it starts to know, hey, there's a, there's a problem with this cylinder. And what it tells you is that there's a problem with the cylinder. It probably knows what's wrong with the with the cylinder, but it's not going to tell you. It's going to say, hey, there's a problem with the car. We need to take this and get this fixed right away. Or we need to get this fixed. And continued, like Jerry said in the beginning, continued use on this leaves you to um, uh, irreparable failure. So now something that could have been easily repaired with a cleaning now results in an injector replacement. Well, 
okay, so you go get the injector replacement. Well, that requires, requires removing the intake manifold, removing the injector rail, removing everything off to get to one injector. So then you ask, have to ask yourself, do you want to do one? And you want to put in one new injector on, on for example, let's say a six-cylinder. You want to put in one injector and leave five old injectors? Okay, maybe, maybe not. But now you're gonna now you create another uh, imbalance. So then you wind up, you know, talking yourself into putting six injectors in. Now you just got six times the cost when you could have just paid to have the thing clean to begin with. It's it's critical. It really is. I I didn't understand it until I started running trucks. I I didn't understand how bad how bad things could really get. And downtime on a on a truck for us is is horrible. We we can't afford to have our trucks down because we never know when we're going to roll. We never know, you know, we have to be ready to go at any point in time because we don't know when you're going to break down. If you could tell me when you're going to break down, uh my life becomes a whole lot easier. It it you never know. You never know when you're going to break, you never know when you're going to have an issue. Life happens and you just get to enjoy the ride sometimes. So I get to be the prepared guy that waits around hoping that nothing happens, but reactive when something does. So we have to we have to be ultraly prepared to make sure that doesn't happen. So, like I said, I didn't understand how critical this stuff was until I started running these trucks. I've been doing it for a while. Um, I've seen a lot of trucks fail. I've seen a lot of trucks wrecked. But I can tell you that maintenance costs today are through the roof. I just had a guy spec a motor for one of our trucks. Because it wore out, not because we did anything wrong, because it was it was built poorly. Got it got two hundred thousand miles when it should have got six. Right, the cost to replace the motor twenty seven thousand dollars. It's an eight week build. So if I want to spend twenty seven thousand dollars, comes with a two year warranty, only on the hard parts. So it comes with a two year warranty on the bearings. The oil pump and the head does not cover the injectors, does not cover the injector pump, does not cover the air compressor, does not cover the AC, doesn't cover any of the fuel management system, the ECMs, doesn't cover any of the wiring, doesn't cover any of that. covers the cylinders, covers the bearings, covers the head for $27,000. Twenty-seven thousand bucks. You know that's a lot. That's a big chunk of change to have somebody just throw at you and go, "Oh, uh, twenty-seven grand." I'm like, "Wow, wow." You know that puts you back Welcome in your to your day, huh? Welcome <laughs> yeah, to your it day. It puts you, it puts you back in your chair for a second and makes you think, "What could we have done different?" Well, on this particular unit, there was nothing we could have done different. We tried. We we've had issues with this unit since day one. We've had it to the dealer. 18 times. I can't tell you how much money we've spent on this. And basically, we've come to the conclusion that the motor was defective from the get-go. And uh, and you know what? Nobody would warranty it. Why? Because, well, there's always an, uh, there's always something else that, that they was a different. Different story. You know, we could produce all receipts, produce our work orders, produce our oil, our oil change history, our service intervals, our, our cooling systems tests. Nope. So, yeah, so today we're at $27,000 and eight weeks. If I write the check today or to Monday, let's say, it's eight weeks. So that's May. 
Okay, it will be it would be May before the motor shows up. Then mm-hmm. I can put it in. Then I get to put it in. Well, it doesn't just it doesn't twenty seven thousand doesn't stop with the motor going in, guys. It starts with okay, that's a whole bunch of new oil, filters, coolant, hoses, thermostats. Uh usually it's gonna come with motor mounts because uh, that's what you need to do when you're when you're gonna go to all the trouble to yank it out, you're gonna put motor mounts in. You know, motor attachment points. You're going to check every every electrical point, which means it's going to come with a. Now you're going to buy a wiring harness. The wiring harness on a on a semi truck is about two thousand dollars for the for the part that just connects the engine to the computer. Just to connect the engine to the computer, it's about two thousand dollars. And oh, if I call them now and give them the VIN, hopefully they can have it done in eight weeks because it's a special build. Because they don't just keep them. Because you think they were be pretty close to the same? No, 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 no. no. So we got to build each one one at a time, I guess, by a small Chinese factory. I don't know, but yeah. So, so that add, add two grand to twenty-seven. Now you're at twenty-nine. By the time we're done, we're going to be in this thing thirty-five grand. Thirty-five. Yeah. So when well, when, <clears throat> when when I when when we talk about maintenance and repair costs. <laughs> um, and, and and doing things just to save a few dollars to here and there, as just to keep your car running. You know, it, it, in my world, it gets magnified times ten. So you know, I can't I can't explain enough. I can't beg you. I can't tell you enough that hey, these little things. Yeah, I get it. It might cost two hundred dollars. It might cost a hundred dollars. It might cost three hundred dollars. But if it saves you five thousand, for me, I spend a thousand to save fifteen thousand. I spend a grand. I spend a thousand dollars to try and save fifteen thousand dollars. I don't. I mean, if if you went to a place and said, "Hey, look, um, you pay me a thousand dollars, and I'll give you fifteen thousand dollars back," I don't know anybody who wouldn't take on that bet, ever. Well, that's what I do. Uh, we right. go through the days as we look at the stuff. If we spend this here, you know. We can save this much on down the road, and that is I, as because for us doing the doing the uh, doing this uh, doing these simple things goes a long ways to making sure that our reliability is there. So that in case you need us, we're available. All on the chance that that you're going to call us. Think about that for the day. <clears throat> Well, what do you think about that, Jerry? Uh, no, I, I just remind me never to buy eighteen wheeler. Okay, uh, I've seen them where they actually use the big eighteen tractors, eighteen wheel tractors, or whatever they are, uh, to pull big horse trailers, and you know that carry you know ten horses and stuff like that. And I'm going, oh my gosh, his maintenance on that—that's first thing I look at. His maintenance—it's like buying a big house. Who's going to clean it? Who's going to clean it? But who's going to clean yeah. thirty four thousand square so, feet? <laughs> well, that's that's absolutely that's from a person who is there now. That's that's real time, real good advice on these things. The other little thing item that I wanted to cover, you know, the filters. Uh, if it's got a filter and it, it needs to be changed, okay, that's what they're for. They are to filter out impurities. You need to change them. Air filter is super critical. You can do that yourself. 
most of the time, the fuel filter is going to be hidden someplace where it would be a little more technically challenged. But you can actually change the air filter by yourself. Uh, put it on a regular change interval unless you have a haboob that goes through, and then you're going to need to change the air filter. If you'll do that, your cabin air filter, change your cabin air filter, change your air filter in the, the engine compartment. If you automatic transmission, we covered that good last week. Automatic transmission, if it's got a filter, it needs to be changed. Oil filter by all means. Fuel filters. Put the fuel filter on. They say, well, you know, check it every two years. Check it my hind end. Change it once a year and you won't have to check it. And it keeps the back pressure off of that little fuel pump down to a minimal. In other words, it'll allow the fuel pump to just pump the gas on a regular basis, go on through the fuel filter, clean out the garbage that you're pumping through there and then keep it done so it don't start plugging up and building up pressure to where your fuel pump has to work harder, and then and, and then your fuel pump goes out. Ford and GM used to have a heck of a problem with that, and they still do. If you don't change those filters, it will cause you problems. Now, I wanted to change one other thing before we get off of the soft carbons. <clears throat> I've had this asked to me probably a dozen times. How, Jerry, how do I know that I need a motorvac? I mean, is there some kind of a symptom that shows up? First symptom that I recognized because I was looking for it so that I could have some information on it, what is the first symptom? First symptom is a rough idle when you first start it. You hit the key and it starts up and it's just a little rough just for a second or two. And then it clears up and it's running fine. That's the first sign, people. And the, the, then it gets worse. If you don't address it then, then it starts taking just a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer until it's running like a piece of garbage and you take it in and find out that, oh, it's carbon buildup. It's so called a soft soak. You'll turn it off and you go to a, a grocery store. And you turn the engine off. You come back on. You turn it on. And it goes. What it has to do, a soft soak, is where the soft carbons and the oil debris, the injector is so dirty, the pinhole is so shut up, that it's, now it has a little bit of place and it, you get this carbon buildup or the uh, debris on the inside from a soft soak, which turns this stuff in like a gum, and then you have to turn it. What you're doing when you're turning it is you're pushing, you're forcing gasoline through that pencil to try to get it to open so that you can put enough gas in the cylinder to actually fire off the engine, to make the engine run. And that's called a soft soap. And that will worry, that will aggravate you to death. And so when you first notice the hard start, in the morning, or the rough idle when you first fire it up, it may fire right off, and then it, it's real rough. And the reason it's really rough, it doesn't have enough fuel on the initial input to fire it off properly. It don't see it. It don't have the combustion. And then as it cleans the end of the pencils out inside the injector, down through the delivery system, it gets a better spray pattern. That's when it smooths out. That's the first thing that I noticed that you either need you need a soft carbon removal, you need a good can of uh, uh, gasoline additive, something to cut that thing and work on those pencils and injectors and clean them out as much as you can. If the can don't work, 
then you're going to have to go in and have it professionally cleaned, and then that works. I mean, that is not, that's not skipping step one, two, and three. That's getting one, and that's it. It's a complete system flush, and that'll cure whatever ailments that thing has in it and whatever ailments that's coming in it. Instead of just cleaning the pencils, you're cleaning out the fuel rails and getting all the garbage out of it. But that is one thing that you can tell, and don't make excuses for it. We have a tendency, if it if it stutters or something like that, to say, oh, well, it must be the cold weather. Oh, humidity must be up to 12% in Tucson or something like that. No, you're not losing your mind. And believe it or not, women are better at paying attention to the way that vehicle fires and the way it runs than men are. We, are, we have a perception, oh, yeah, well, it'll cure itself. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> it's just prolonging the agony. So just if you pay attention to that, that'll help you save a lot of money in a short period of time. All right. We went to uh, one last uh, thing. Checking it. One last, yeah, go ahead. One last thing. One last thing. So um, one of the things that, that we forget about in today's world is we're in, we're in pandemic or we're getting out of pandemic, but we're spending a lot of time in our cars. Um, so we set a lot of drive throughs we idle our cars in a lot of places. Idle time is just as deadly as running your car. In fact, probably more so. Because car, motors are designed to run at a nice, even RPM for a given time. They work very well there. Now we're sitting idling, eating our lunches, drinking our coffees, waiting in a drive-thru. And that, the idling your motor has a, has a great effect on how fast carbon builds up. And so sometimes you might think, oh, I need to do it after, after you know, 50,000 miles. If you idle your car all the time, that's probably not the case. It's probably more along the line of a lot less because the car's still yeah, running, no. but no miles are being, are being clocked on your odometer. It's just sitting there running. So our times on, on the engine are, are very critical. If you spend a lot of time idling, Think about you know increasing your oil change um, cycle, and think about uh, increasing the motor vac time, because that just sitting here running makes your makes a lot a lot of uh, has a lot of effect on your car. I wanted to throw that in there. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and for the motor vac machines, you've got Parker Automotive. Uh, Scott, who was on last week, he's very well aware of the carbon issues. Uh, they're located at 5101 East Speedway. Uh, you can talk to Scott or Ryan. Mike Parker is the owner there, known him for years. Uh, ParkerAutomotiveAZ.com, first-class shop, first-class shop. Uh, they have all the fancy equipment. They have all the diagnostic equipment that you'll ever need, except uh, they're just like Brian. They buy a new one about once a week or <laughs> once a month so they can stay up with the trends and the way the, the technical data is changing for us. So Parker Automotive, uh, just a good shop to do business with. They're on the east side, 5101 East Speedway, beautiful uh, building, beautiful location. 323-1960, uh, they are closed on Saturday. Um, he thinks the same way I do. You need to give your technicians some time off on the weekend so they can be with their families, and you have a much better employee Monday morning. 
Speaking of that, Simmons is looking for a technician. Um, <clears throat> I was told to put this out. We are currently looking for an experienced mechanic to join our team. Our, our hours are Monday through Friday, 7 to 5, closed on weekends. ASE certification is a plus but not required. Benefits are also available. If this sounds like a career path for you, please contact 520-884-0217 or stop by the shop. We are currently seeking an automotive mechanic technician to become an integral part of our team. You will diagnose, adjust, repair, and overhaul automotive vehicles. That's what you'll do, but you won't be doing it by yourself. You will have a team that actually works out there with you, and we can we go back and forth with uh, uh, sharing of information to get you on the right track. Any training that you have to do while you're at Simmons is fully paid for. Um, we will keep you up. We will help you build up. If you're not an ASE certified technician, we'll help you get to that status to get you certified, and you will... Uh, you know, it, compensation depends on experience. So go in and talk to Wade, 8840217 if you call, or drop by 3743 South Country Club. But we're, we've got a technician retiring in June, so we need a body now. We need a, we need a technician so he can get a, get a chance to get, get the boogers out of him and show him the operation before he actually leaves. So there it is on that. All right, steering systems. You know, I, I touched on steering system reset. You know, we've got these fancy uh, machines now, alignment machines, and we have all the capabilities of actually resetting steering. And people say, what in the world do you have to reset steering for? Well, I'm going to give you an idea. On a typical onboard system network, you have wheel sensors, electronic stabilizer control modules. You have throttle positioning sensors, anti-lock brake module, wheel sensors, uh, that's on the other side, brake pedals positioning sensor, steering angle sensors, torque angle sensors that have to be reset when you do an alignment because you change everything that that uh, system has been looking at and you're going to put it back where it's supposed to be. So you have to tell the computer that, oh, and by the way, I have put this back now, so you need to read it for what it is now, not what it was. So when you go in and you get a front-end alignment or four-wheel alignment on them, most of the cars now, and somebody says, well, we've got to set your, uh, uh, we, we've got to reset your computer to all of this. That's exactly what they're talking about. And it does take a, uh, a system in order to get it back where it's supposed to be. So there is the information that I wanted to get to you. And I finally found the link that I can pull it up and give it to you exactly the way it's written so that you will know. Okay. All right. We've covered, we've covered, Carbon and fuel delivery systems, we've covered that pretty doggone solid this morning for you. Hopefully, you picked up something from that. Jim did a brilliant job on covering it on these big diesels and cars. That, that stuff, if you have a gas burner or even a diesel burner, you're going to have byproducts. Now, he mentioned idle time. 
When you idle a car, the flow to get rid of the engine, what goes into an engine has got to get out. Well, if it sits there and lollygags, which it does when it's idling, you don't have that same stream going through the catalytic converter and through the muffler and out the exhaust pipe. All that stuff is lingering around, just hanging on. It'll hang on to this little sensor. It'll hang on to the this little part inside the uh, catalytic converter. It The flow is not moving enough to keep that stuff clean. So it's like having a car running three times what you're actually doing with it. It's just sitting there and idling at three times worse for the car than it is if you're driving it. So that's the reason idle time is so critical. Believe it or not, that's the reason they did this stop-start stuff setting in these cars that worry you to death because you'll be sitting there and all of a sudden your engine's dead. And, of course, your air conditioning slows way down, and then finally it quits, and the engine starts up again when you take your foot off the brake pedal. You can just barely move your foot off of that brake pedal, by the way, and it will start. And you can still have brakes, but the engine's now running. Uh, I don't know how much these starters cost that start, you know, 90 times a day, but I haven't had the misfortune of finding out yet. But they cost a lot. A lot. You know, the, a lot. The batteries, yes, yes, absolutely. How much? Uh, the the last one I saw was for the it was for the the it was a Buick um, um, that had the start stop um, feature so you which is annoying I I understand the concept for reduction of emissions because you're not putting out emissions while the car stops at the light but everybody creeps so that means the car starts and stops and it starts and stops at any rate um, yep. I find it very annoying to drive. Uh, at any rate, the the starter was three hundred and seventy four dollars. Three hundred and seventy four dollars. Well, and that's not putting it on. That was just for the starter cost. Um, so yeah, it was, yeah. I was like, wow. Um, and then you know, it's it's a good two hours to pull it out and put it in because well, it's not like it's it's just not like an old school car. You could just take it out. You're you gonna fight it out of there, fight it around the exhaust and the cables and the whole and everything else that's you know married in there so i've got some of them where you have to have to pull the intake manifold right exactly yeah the, or the exhaust manifolds or, or whatever you know it's a simple hour job now turns into a seven hour job right and if you don't have a lift if you're trying to do this on your back you know if you're trying to do it without the, oh wait let's just go ahead and mess with you one more let's put the special e-socket on there because we decided that that would be fun or some <laughs> stupid some stupid spline socket that you can only get you know if you knew about it and it's not available and you're like great so now you you're stuck because you can't get the bolt out there you go well, <laughs> it, when when you're working on your own vehicle and you don't have a shop access in other words when I'm working on my Mustang. By the way, I found out my Mustang does not have 61,000 miles on it when I bought it. It had 6,000 miles on a 1968 Mustang. I just had it in, and they, the guy, the little guy down at the emission station says, Sir, this is not a 70,000-mile car. This is a 7,000-mile car. 
And he said, you're missing one number on the outside. I never even paid attention to it. I bought it, and I thought 61,000 miles is a great, great mileage on a 68 Mustang. Well, <laughs> excuse me. Go ahead, take over. So, uh, yeah, actually, Jerry had me verify the uh, the odometer yesterday. He stopped by the office, and I was like, it had 7,000. I'm looking at it going, 7,000, Jerry. That's pretty friggin' low. Um, yeah, and, and what if you look at the odometer, because we're used to looking at odometers today with no tents, okay? This is an old-school car, mechanical, with a tent indicator. It only goes up to 99,000 because it was built in the 60s. You didn't cut drive cars more than six, more than 100,000 miles because they, they wore out. You got rid of them. They're like, 100,000 miles, get rid of that car. We don't drive that far. We're, we're an agrarian society. We, we are farmers. Now now we drive cars 300,000 miles because we motor everywhere. Of course, in the 60s, the interstates were just almost getting done. But, yeah, I hit 7,000 miles. I think it's in pretty, you know, amazing, amazing condition for 7,000 miles. I was, I, was, I was blown away. I thought, oh, there's no way. All of a sudden, Jerry's car value went up from uh, – it doubled in value just sitting there in the parking lot. I was. I thought it was crazy. I the last time I saw a car '68 with 7,000 miles on it was uh, maybe about 40 years ago because they just don't exist anymore. You just don't see a '68 anything or '70 anything with with 7,000 miles. My old Dodge has got uh, 135,000 miles on it because I've rolled it. I've rolled the odometer over a couple times or at least once that I can remember. So <laughs> 100 uh, 7,000 miles. I was. I had to do a double look. I put my glasses on twice to see this, so that was it was real impressive because you just don't see it. That's a, like a once in a that's like the you know the unicorn. You just don't see that. So. It was right. very interesting, Jerry. I have to say. Well, it was it was it was eye opening for me, and I was kind of tickled with it. You know, it didn't make any difference to me. I don't plan on getting rid of it until I croak anyway. Um, but on the um, uh, mileage. That brings up another thing on uh, checkout on prior purchases, on purchase before you buy it. On a car, you know, I was over talking to Brian, and he'd run across a couple of issues in one week. And the people had actually bought the vehicle, then they brought it in to have it checked out because they heard it's on the radio. You need to get these things checked out. Well, I love the color on it, so I went ahead and bought it. Well, when they took it in and had it checked out, they found out there was so many leaks. If it if it was liquid, it was leaking. And so they started, okay, well, you need valve covers, pan gaskets, all of this. And this is leak check verified. And <clears throat> the customer got a little bit uh, excited, and then he takes it back to the place that he bought it. And they said, do you trust that place that you took it to? And I thought Brian's hair was on fire. And uh, but when you when when you pick up a vehicle, uh, if you do a, pre, a pre-purchase on it before you buy it, and you take it in to Simmons, Parker Automotive, Brian Fuller, or any other reputable shop in Tucson, Arizona, people, we work for you. We do not work for the car lot. The car lot probably bought it at auction, hadn't had it more than a day and a half, and didn't really know what was going on with it. They put a detail on it, cleaned the engine off on the top side, and then all of a sudden you go on the bottom and look, 
up on a rack and you've got more oil under there than it has in a crankcase, then there's an issue. And when we and we write this stuff down and give you a copy of it, and when you take it back to the place and they say, uh, well, you know, do you trust that place? You don't have to trust that place. You can take that check sheet and go have it checked any place you want to. That's the reason it is in writing. That's the reason we give it to you so that you will know what you're buying before you buy it. We're not, we don't tell you one way or the other. They say, what's your recommendation? Hey, we've seen them come in there so bad at Simmons. We will tell you this vehicle is probably not for you because you're trading in a used vehicle. Why are you trading yours in? Does it just need a bunch of oil leaks fixed and stuff like that? Well, fine. If its price is the same fix on your car as it was the one that you have just dumped $20,000 on, if you have your car fixed, you just saved yourself $20,000. A lot of people are doing a bunch of people are doing that now. In fact, that is, seems to be the trend. You know, vehicles are rolling in the shop, and the guy just told, you know, he almost acts like he's embarrassed. Said, well, we didn't, we really haven't maintained it. We figured, you know, you know, three years, we'd go ahead and buy another one, or five years, we'd buy another one. And now they're finding out that the cost of this thing is almost prohibitive to buy a new car, even if you can get them now. And so they're just having their old ones fixed. And then they're winding up. They still got the favorite car that they have a history with. Uh, you can have everything done to it, including a paint job if you want to. Take it over to Spectrum, have it everything painted. If you don't like the color, have a color change. There's all sorts of options that you have rather than to buy somebody else's problem that, because they're selling it for a reason. And when you buy it, you know, what, what's the condition of it? You don't know until you have a third party check it out. You know, I'm pretty good at driving a vehicle and telling you if it's going to run for at least till I get it to the house. But past that, you bet your hind end it's going over to the shop, and you can bet your other hind end that I have already figured that the most I am buying it to the point that I can afford to fix it. Now, if you're buying a diesel and you don't think it's necessary to check a diesel out, you just you better be about ten grand under what the the street value is is what diesels are now, and then you'll probably be safe. If you take whatever you pay for it, add about ten thousand to it, and say, okay, uh, that's just uh, I, yeah, I, it's worth it. And if it's worth it to you, by golly, you made the decision. Now you got to live with it. So when you ha that's the purpose of a pre inspection on a vehicle. We have I, I we have written it down, and the guy said, "Well, would you buy it? I own a garage. Yeah, I could buy it, depending on what the price comes in at. But you don't own a garage. You don't have the facility. You don't have the lifts. You don't have the inspection capabilities, and you probably don't really know all the little intricate things that we look at when we actually do that." You know, I've seen stuff come in. Guy bought it, cost him $4,000. It was a beautiful unit. He rolled that thing in. It was not modified. It was just a beautiful um, uh, Buick, 60, oh, it was about a 64, 65, 84, 85. And um, I asked him, I said, Randy, you already bought this? Yeah. And we put it up on the lift for him and took him under there and showed him what was coming apart. 
there really wasn't anything on the vehicle that wasn't coming apart. But he that's his he wanted that car. He didn't care. He said, I don't care, you just fix it. Guess what the ticket was on it? Over five grand. He only paid four for it. Over five grand. I said, Man, you could have bought a classic car for that, put the same money in it and lose money that way. At least it's more fun. But um you need to check these vehicles, do a pre-purchase on them. If you're buying them off of eBay or someplace, Phoenix, uh, someplace that there's no guarantee on these cars when you pick them up, you just get them and hope you make it back to Tucson. But I have sat and talked to a gentleman that called me from Bullhead City. He was buying a diesel truck. It is hard as the dickens to sit there and close your eyes and imagine this truck that he's got and say, okay, now how am I going to guide him through? on this truck. He talked to me while he was doing the test drive. He talked to me while he was under the hood looking. He crawled under the truck, was talking to me on the cell phone while he was under the truck, and I told him what to look for. And he did buy it. He did bring it in. He did have the little things that I told him, that's not that critical. It can be fixed. And he got a good truck. But that was long distance, and that was the guy that was able to get under the vehicle and look because it was a pickup. You could slide under it. And that was a basic checkout, the best we could do without actually seeing it. But if you go out and you're going to buy a car, have the phone number of the shop. Buy it during the week, not the weekend when your shop's closed. Buy it during the week. Go look at it during the week. Take a day off, vacation day or something like that. Look at the daggone vehicle and then call Somebody call Scott over at uh, Parker, call Brian Fuller or Mitch over at Automotive Specialist or call Ken or Danielle down at Simmons, and they will tell you what to look for before you actually drive this vehicle. Does it start quick? Does the brakes have a pulsation in them? That will tell you, no, well, it's got a little pulsation in it. I'm probably going to have to get some brake attention on it. Okay, fine. There is no such thing as a forty-nine ninety-five brake job, people, if you've got a brake pulsation. So what you're going to do is you're going to say, okay, I'm going to spend about three or $400 plus to get the brakes fixed on it. So add that to the purchase price and do it mentally, and but check that thing out. Does it start good? Does the air conditioning work? Do the turn signals work? Uh, does the heater work? Are there any water leaks? Uh, is there any weepage or anything coming out of the water pump on the engine that you can see? Um, and you just you have to do your due diligence the best you can do if you're buying out of state. But a recommendation, if you're going to go look at a vehicle and you're going to travel to Colorado to buy a vehicle or something like that and you don't know vehicles, you call your shop and you get them on the phone and you use your cell phone, and if you have to take a picture and send it to it or to their cell phone, do it. And then they will help you navigate the purchase of this vehicle as safe as you possibly can, looking, to, looking at a picture or listening to you for your information coming back on the question you just ask them. And that's better than nothing, and you stand a better chance. And if, But if it's too good to be true, it probably is. You need to look closer at the vehicle. Um, you see uh, a lot of cars being purchased at estate sale. And so you'll go check out the vehicle. There'll be a nice-looking vehicle sitting there, and you go, wow, this is, this is, this is a good-looking vehicle. I think I'll just buy it. You can probably get a pretty good deal from estate sale. 
But you need to make sure that you're not buying a pig in a poke. And a pig in a poke, you don't know really what you got until you get in and open the poke up, and then you see, oh, my goodness. So don't let that bite you. I don't get concerned about paint. In fact, people call me on paint, and I said, you can take it to, over to Spectrum and have it painted. Paint does not make a vehicle run good. It appears to. It's more pleasurable to drive when the paint is nice and pretty and shiny, but it doesn't have a jack crap to do with the runnability of that car. You're concerned about the engine and the powertrain. Engine, transmission, transfer case, drive shafts, braking system. That's anything that has to do with safety that could put you on the side of the road so that you have to call my buddy Jim at Frontier Towing and have it picked up. And if you'll do that, that's as safe as we can possibly make it for you to purchase this vehicle. You're not purchasing a pig in a poke. You're purchasing a pig out of the poke with a list of what you need to do to make it dependable enough to drive across country or put a dependable, safe vehicle under your butt. And that's all I have to say about purchasing vehicles. And for the, uh, you take it back to wherever you purchased that vehicle in a car lot in Tucson or something like that. Do you trust the place you took it to? I'm telling you, if you take it to Parker Simmons or Brian Fuller, that's the ones I guarantee that they will light up if somebody says, go, do you trust the place that you took it to? They will light, what I mean by lighting up, they can get real, real light lit up on something like that because we are not in the business to steal from people we take care of our clients we take care of our clients better than we do our own darn vehicles because you're not a technician and we're so cocky that we figure okay if we break down ah, we got a couple of options i can call frontier towing at 748-1100 have jim come and get me which i have done and then the darn vehicle fired up and i moved it turned out the transmission just before i re- resealed the transmission on the mustang um it was just a quart and a half low on transmission fluid. Put transmission fluid in, then drove it over the shop and had it fixed. But that's after I had to call back to Frontier Towing and cancel it out. I didn't need to be picked up then. So, yes, I had the ability. And then you sit there and you get irritated and you think, whoa, 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 whoa. It's a piece of mechanical equipment. It's subject to breakdown, whether it's new, used, antiques, whatever. And so you just you can't panic. And you just keep a number handy where you can call just in case you can't figure it out. And then you go in and have it done. Another thing that Fuller brought up the other day that we haven't discussed recently is a timing belt and timing chains. If you do a timing belt on a car, you look at that thing around 100,000 miles because 100,000, and don't tell me, oh, I had one and it run for 190,000 miles right up until I traded it. Why'd you trade it? It run 190,000 miles. You must have been doing something right. Just because you forgot to look at the timing belt, it had come apart and on an interference engine, and now you've bent all the valves in the cylinder head. About a hundred thousand miles, you have some. You go in and tell them I want it looked at, and you check the condition of that timing belt because most of your small engines now have the belt. Some of them still have the chains, and if you long as you change your oil, oil the dirty liquid going through that lubes the gears on a timing belt or timing chain, especially timing chain, is what wears the timing chain out. So clean oil, and I'll tell you again, the best thing you can do to your car, single thing, well, there's two things, actually. One's a carbon, 
maintain the carbon, keep it out as best you can, or just service it for carbon buildup. Keep that fuel delivery system clean and change the engine oil on a regular interval. We are in a severe duty state. I do not believe in a 10,000-mile oil change, even though I have done it, but I was using 12 months, 25,000-mile cost-out-the-rear-end synthetic in order to get the test pulled. We actually drove a V10 Ford, my 99, 14,000 miles on an oil change. But, brother, you do the extended oil drains, change the filter, use use the filter for extended drain intervals, and I change it at half the distance that I would normally change our paraffin-based oil. Change, just go ahead and put a filter in it, unless I'm doing it on my diesels, 5,000 miles, full synthetic, good long-range D, uh, fuel filter, and that's what you do on the cars that's running synthetic. You run the extended drain oil filter. You don't go in and buy one for $1.99 either. They're going to cost you more than that. But... I'd take you back what Jim said. You want to spend $1,000 to save 15000 You want to spend $100 to save 5000 You know, it's all relevant. And if you're driving that car and that's your primary car and you want that son of a gun to go, put it on a regular preventive maintenance program. Some of the stuff you want to change just because it's time and these things are start failing. The cars used to be, and I don't, I haven't heard anything said they were changed. When the manufacturers put in something, it's only supposed to last no more than 100,000 miles. Did you ever wonder why they only put a 100,000-mile warranty on it, even with the extended warranty? Now you can buy aftermarket stuff. It'll take you on up. But uh, before, and you, but people ask me, if you was going to buy a 100,000-mile car and you were going to buy a 140,000-mile car, which one would you buy? And I'd probably say 140,000 because all the stuff that was supposed to start dying out around 100,000, 110,000, 120,000, I'll go ahead with the 140,000 because that means that the uh, most of the parts have been changed. Guess where I got that at? I got it from a guy that worked at a new car dealership and sold used vehicles. And he told me, Point blank, he said, because most of the stuff is designed to start failing. So, and that was true. I've seen it. Seen, I've seen, had the privilege of actually watching it happen so I can bring the information to you. So when you're buying a vehicle and it's got, oh, it's got 99,000 miles, I want to see the service records. I want to see what has been changed so I will know what's coming. Because the the scariest statement I have ever heard In eons, and Brian Fuller's the same way, and probably Parker's the same way. I've driven this thing for 100,000, 110,000 miles, and I've never had to do anything to it. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what his definition of any, and he said, oh, I've had it serviced regular. Well, what did you do when you had it serviced? I changed the oil. Remember the oil service and the oil change. Oil service, what else was checked? Did anybody at a, a shop actually look for stuff that's going to cause you grief in two weeks or 30 days? So that's the big difference between the oil change and the oil service. But just like Scott said last week, he said, I agree. If it's liquid, 
it's subject to be changed. Even the non-serviceable transmissions can be serviced. We figured it out. And, you know, it's, it, even though they say, oh, you can't even do anything. Yes, you can. There's ways to do it. You know, if you've got a question on that, just give Scott a call over at Parker, and he'll explain it again. By the way, I'm going to bring Parker back on probably in about uh, two weeks, three weeks, something like that. And we'll we'll pick another subject to grind up. Front-end alignments, I've already mentioned the reset of all your electronic controls for your stir-by-wire stuff. All of that needs to be done. So when you go in, you get alignment check, and they check that, and everything's in alignment, you, then you don't have to worry about it. But if it's out of alignment, when you realign it, you change the values, and you have to redo it. So keep that in mind. There is There used to be a 1995 alignment. 1995 alignment. And you said, wow, I'm, I'm good to go now. I've got a 1995 alignment. Yeah, well, you're good to go as long as there's no parts worn out. Because like Mr. Fuller has said numerous times, I can align anything. And it's sitting on the rack, and it shows computer perfect. It has printed it out. It's dead perfect. Well, it's sitting on the rack. You back it out in the parking lot, and everything goes back because you got worn parts on it. So when you don't take care of alignments and don't stay on top of it, all of a sudden you're at a $1,900 to $2,000 front-end repair in order to get the alignment to stay where you put it when it's on the rack. That's the reason there's no 1995 alignments anymore. You you look at a good alignment the time somebody gets through with it, you're going to be anywhere from 80 to $150 because people have changed the size of tires on cars. It changes the the driving, the way they handle, the way they sit under the vehicle. Lift kits on 4 fours is notorious for that. And those can get up to 250 to $350 the time we go in and start correcting all the angles and getting everything straightened out. So when you think alignment, think wheel protection, tire protection. I used to joke on a radio program, I said, oh, don't worry about it, because there's a tire sale on someplace. Well, tires are expensive. And now Jim just told me there's a shortage of tires, and so... Can you get the tire that you can put on it? Yeah, I want it round. I want it to hold air, and I want it to go on the vehicle. All four of them, hopefully, the same size. So, and I hope it don't get down to that. I hope the tire manufacturers step it up, or the shipping finally gets unplugged or something so that we can get this stuff in. All right, 719-1490. We got about five minutes. What do you want to add, Jim? Oh, quick thing on on your preview of your car. You're buying your car. Um, yep. I hate to say this, but um, I, I know I've bought plenty of cars, and it's it's um it's always a challenge for me because I always put on my car goggles when I go because you know I fall in love with that thing because it's shiny red. Take a friend with you. Yep. Take somebody a spare, a spare set of eyes. <laughs> somebody who can make that phone call for you because you're already giddy and thinking that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Take a pair of eyes with you. Somebody who's going to say, hey, you know what, did you notice this over here? Did you see that over there? Somebody who's not going to be vested in this car. Don't get me wrong. They'll they'll like it, but uh, sometimes a pair of eyes goes a a super long way with uh, trying to make sure you get a good deal. You get that second opinion. You take Jim with you. Jim looks at that car entirely different than you do, just like he said. 
And the other thing is you need to be open-minded about it. You say, oh, the car is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. The paint, and I just told you that paint don't drive you down the road. So if you if you don't like the paint color, it's got blisters on the top of it. Uh, it needs to have the top fixed and whatever with the cosmetics on it. Don't Don't let that deter you. As much as if you, Jim looks on it and says, you this thing's full of oil leaks. It's all over. It's all over. Yeah. The paint well, the front looks is good. Out. However, the- be open-minded when you're checking these things out. That's the reason you take them in. And if, when you get to where you can, if you're able to do it, take it into your shop. Because those guys, they're working for you. Their job is to find everything wrong with it. And they will tell you, it, this is a natural wear item, okay? It's a natural wear item. Yeah, it's eventually going to wear out. It's probably uh, on its last leg, but we don't say that. He, these, this is what it looks like. This is what you've got. Uh, we, we did a computer check on it. We run a computer on it to see if there's anything obvious that needs to be immediately attended to. And so you've got that opinion that's a professional opinion that you paid for. You paid to have this card checked out. So when you get that check sheet and it's in writing, uh, the place is competent enough to say, here it is in writing. Uh, you don't have to take my word for it if you don't want to. You can go have it checked out someplace else. Keep this sheet with you. Take, you can take it back to the place and say, this is what I found out from Simmons. This is what I found out from Automotive Specialist. This is what I found out from Parker Automotive. Hand them the sheet. Give them a copy of it. That's what it's for. And it's to help you buy the car. They'll look and say, well, I'll, I'll fix this. I'll fix this. I'll fix this. The rest of this stuff, nah. And you look at it. You look at the price and you say, okay. That will make the price now where I can actually buy this vehicle. So you need to stay open-minded, open-minded on any time you go buy a vehicle. You know, if you want to buy a 68 Mustang with a bunch of rust off from the East Coast and you've never seen it, okay, buy the darn thing. If it's cheap enough, you know you're going to spend a fortune on it anyway, and then you'll get it in, and then you'll find it only has only had 6,100 miles instead of 61,000 miles. <laughs> then you start to replace part, and it don't take you long to figure out that every part you're replacing is OE. All right, we're out of time, Jimbo. We're out of time. Um, Merrill's Automotive, Automotive Specialist, 572-1734-237-3852. That's Mr. Tess Bursto Guest. And he's just about get straightened out where he can come back and do a show with me again here shortly. So I'll be having him on. For the rest of you, Jim, thanks for being on today. I really appreciate it, man. And thanks for having me. Until next week. Bye bye. Bye bye.